Father, thank you so much for the truth of the gospel that Jesus died in our place to redeem sinners. And uh, thank you, Lord, that um, Phyllis, Elizabeth's mom, is with you because of of the blood of Jesus. Thank you that uh, everyone in this room can be assured of eternal life and eternal salvation by placing their faith in you. And then, Lord, you give us the privilege of not just being saved, but taking that message uh, to others. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this morning's message to encourage us and equip us to, to, to do just that, to take the message to others. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been studying what's called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Um, he is in Jerusalem. It's the Thursday uh, before he is going to be crucified. And he is asked a question. When are you going to return? What are the signs of your coming? And he talks about his return. Now, we've spent um, pretty much the whole fall talking about uh, and, and going through the Olivet Discourse. Now, we're coming to chapter 25 where he tells three parables about what our attitude should be like while we're waiting for him to return. Now, the first parable was the parable uh, of the ten bridesmaids or the ten virgins. Five were prepared and five were not prepared. And when the bridegroom came, those who were not ready, those who were not prepared were locked out. Those who were prepared and were waiting and ready came in to the wedding celebration. So he ends that parable with these words. Uh, Actually, I have the wrong scripture there. Can somebody have, uh, can I borrow this right here? All right. It ends in verse 13 with this. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. That's how the parable of the ten bridesmaids ends. Watch. Be ready. Okay? Now, um, some people hear that and they, mean, they, they take it to mean, all right, I'm just going to sit around and watch for Jesus' return. In fact, in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, in his second letter, in his first letter, he said, watch, watch, be ready for the Lord. In his second letter, he had to rebuke them for, because some of them were just sitting around, being lazy, bumming off the church. And he said, you know what? Um, if, if you don't work, you don't eat. So get out there and get working, right? And um, some of you are not busy, but you're busy bodies, so you're not to just sit around saying, oh, Jesus, please come back. Well, what are you supposed to be doing while you're anxiously waiting for the return of the Lord? That's what the second parable is about, the parable of the talents. Now, we had one read-through and one sermon on this already. This is our second time through. Here we go. For it, the kingdom of God uh, and Christ's return, right? It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, just a chunk of money, right? Five talents. To another, two. 
and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more, doubled his investment. Right? So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money, hence the shovel. Right? Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. You know, with at least 0.00001% interest, right? So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, today is the last Sunday in October. Now, uh, in certain churches, that is celebrated as what? Does anybody know? Halloween Sunday? No, it's... <laughs> It's actually the opposite of Halloween Sunday. It's Reformation Sunday. Now, it used to be every Protestant church would celebrate and remember Reformation Day. Now, it's only a small handful of churches that even mention that it's Reformation Sunday. Um, but what's Reformation Sunday? Well, 496 years ago, a Roman Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther who looked at the state of the church and looked at his Bible and looked at the state of the church and looked at his Bible. He said things are not the way they should be according to the Bible. And he wrote 95 objections or calls uh, to change, calls to reform the church. He wrote 95 of them on a piece of paper and he nailed them to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Um, they're called the 95 Theses, 95 Protests to the way the church uh, had, had gone into depravity. Um, 
the church didn't repent. In fact, they excommunicated Martin Luther. So he said, what, what can I do but start a, a, a reformed church? Right? So um, that was the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. And during that time, many people really, really dove into the scriptures and studied it to ask, what does it really teach about salvation? Because Luther said that the medieval church was wrong and they were leading people to hell. And the church pointed at Luther and said, you're wrong, you're leading people to hell. So you, you know, when people today say, ah, what's the difference between the two? Salvation, okay. Now, out of the Protestant Reformation, came what is known as the five solas. The word sola is Latin for alone. And you could sum up the, uh, the essence of the Protestant Reformation with these five solas. Salvation is, first of all, by grace alone. Grace means a, a gift. It's a gift of God. Right? It's by grace alone through Faith alone. Now, Rome had said, no, you, yeah, it's, it's, it's by grace, and it's through faith, but not faith alone. You need sacraments, and you need good works. Grace-empowered sacraments, and grace-empowered good works, but nonetheless, you're not saved by faith alone. Luther says, as I read Romans, as I read Galatians, as I read Ephesians, it says you're justified by faith alone not by your works. So there's the heart of the issue. Are you saved by faith in Christ alone or faith plus what you do? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He's the source, not us. Okay. And then here's the other big one. On the authority of Scripture alone. Luther says, but it says here, it says here, it says here in the Bible, and they said, well, that's nice, but... We have other sources of authority, our councils, our popes, our tradition. So, what is your source of authority? Is it just the Bible alone, or is it the Bible plus the church and the church tradition? Uh, out of the Reformation comes the principle that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, on the authority of Scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. And this is not just, well, the, because of the Reformation we believe this. It's because of the Reformation we've gone back to the Bible and we believe the Bible and this is what the Bible would teach. Okay, Now, um, the objection to salvation by faith alone is what about all the passages, like today's passage, that talk about Rewards based on the performance of these three servants, they were either rewarded or sent to hell. All right? How do you merge Reformation justification by faith alone with passages that talk about rewards and punishment? Okay, well, it's very simple. Salvation is by faith alone, but true salvation will produce a changed heart that loves Christ and lives for Christ and produces fruit or works. 
But salvation is not based on the fruit. The fruit is just, well, fruit. It's not what saves you. It just shows you're saved. Okay? The servant sent to hell was sent to hell because his lack of fruit showed his lack of faith, his lack of trust in the master. Right? So passages that talk about rewards and punishment are not teaching salvation by works. They're t- teaching that you're saved by faith. And if there is not fruit, if there's not works, that shows that the faith was never there to begin with. Now, I want to focus this morning on the two other uh, servants, the guy with two and the guy with five. They were rewarded. Doesn't that prove salvation by works? Well, no. It proves this, that God is so gracious that he not only saves us by grace and changes our heart by grace and produces fruit by grace, he even graciously rewards us for the fruit that we produce by his grace. That's pretty gracious, isn't it? Now, today's passage is about the rewards that flow from our salvation. It's not about earning our salvation by our works. Okay. Now, as I said at the beginning, the, the parable before this was all about be ready, be ready, be ready. But now, while you're waiting for the Lord, what are you supposed to do? I want to give you three things. Three ways to live while you're waiting, anticipating the Lord's return. Right? Three ways to be. The first one, be content. Okay, be content. Parable starts this way. To one, he gave five talents. Doesn't matter how much a talent it is, it's a hunk of money. And one guy got five. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one, each according to his ability. Now, stop right there. When these guys walked away, and they knew one guy got five, one guy got two, one guy got one, how do you think they felt? Wouldn't it be tempting for the guy who just got one to say, well, this stinks. I only get one, that guy gets two, and that guy gets five. Or, what about the guy who got five? What if he walks away and he says, I have to be responsible for five. And that guy only has to worry about two, and the other guy... He only has to worry about what. How, how come I have to, to deal with all this responsibility? Well, the answer is right in the verse. The talents are given each according to his ability. The master gives them what he knows they can handle. Don't we always think the grass is greener elsewhere? Yeah. And, and I think... What part of this part of the lesson of this parable is that God can determine how many talents, how much responsibility, how much giftedness He's going to give each of you. And we're not to sit around complaining, thinking, Well, I deserve more, or I wish I had less. The grass is always greener elsewhere. I I know I've told this story before, but it illustrates it so well when I was up in Wisconsin. I was at a, at a little church, and uh, our big building project was one day we were going to pave the parking lot. It was a gravel parking lot, and we were going to pave it with blacktop. 
It was a hot summer day, and I'm in my, my uh, air-conditioned office. And um, it was a rough week. I don't know. There were complaints and people issues and Satan attacking and, uh, you know, what pastors deal with, right? And I'm looking out of my window, and standing right outside of my window is a guy with a rake and a pile of gravel. And he raked the gravel, and then it was his coffee break, so he sat down and he had some water, and it was over, and then he raked the gravel, and I go, I want that job. That's my job. I mean, you, you, you clock in in the morning, you get your coffee break, you get your lunch, and then when you go home, nobody calls you, you don't think about your job, you just, it's your time. Must be nice. Right. Now, later on that day, um, I had a cordless phone, and when I talk on the phone, I pace. I'm always pacing, and I paced out into the lobby, and there was a couch out there, and I'm sitting on the couch, and who comes walking in the front door? My guy. He's going to the bathroom. We're going to get a drink of water, and he looks at me sitting on the couch. He's all dusty and dirty and sweaty. He looks over at me, and I swear, he said this under his breath, must be nice. <laughs> So I'm coveting his life, and he's coveting my life, right? But wait a minute. God knows what we can handle. Lesson, lesson one here is be content with your life. American Christians especially, we, we spend so much time being discontent with our, our life, our wife, and our strife. Boy, I wish I, wish I had it different. Right? You know it's a sin to be discontent? Luke 3.14, John the Baptist says, Be content with your pay. Philippians 4.11, Paul says, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. 1 Timothy 6.8, But if we have food and clothing... We will be content with that. What should your baseline be of contentment? You got clothes? I don't see any naked people today. Right? And y'all look pretty well fed too. Okay? Then you should be content. Anything beyond that, what, what do you, what's so hard? Do you ever go to Haiti? Hebrews 13.5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Okay? You know what? Every sin can be traced back to discontentment. Think of, um, think of Adam and Eve given paradise. All the fruit of all the trees. Animals. Pet tigers. Right? Perfect bodies. All right. <laughs> um, but what did Eve focus on? You know, we've got all this food, but we can't have that fruit. And Satan got her thinking, that's what you really need to be happy. King David, king of Israel, has, I don't know, how many wives, 
not happy with them. I want that one. Leads to adultery, leads to murder, leads to the downfall of King David. Right? Point one. God gives five, two, and one, each according to their ability. Be content as you're waiting for the Lord to return. Okay? Now, point number two. Be faithful in the little things. Be faithful in the little things. Now, they're first given a small task. Chunk of money, go build the business. They come back, they've doubled the money. Here's here's the result. His master said to him, to the first guy, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. We'll see how you do with a little. And then I'll give you more. And then I'll give you more. Um, When I had graduated from seminary, I went and did a year-long internship at a church in the Chicago area, a very large church. I won't name it, but they have lots of willow trees. (laughs) And there's a creek running through it. So I figure, oh man, maybe one day they'll let me preach. Because I've got my seminary degree, right? That means I can preach, right? So first month, what they did was they put you in various ministries and took you out and put you in another ministry at a month at a time. First ministry, outdoor maintenance. August, weed eater. One month, cutting the weeds. Finally, we're getting to the end of that month. Indoor maintenance, vacuum cleaner, a month of vacuuming. And I'm I'm getting a little like, well, finally they they put put you in some other ministries and the leader said, you know, we were watching you guys to see if you'd complain. Because if you can't do a faithful job vacuuming, why would we entrust you with people? Right? What are your responsibilities? You know, the guy with one, one talent could have said, well, if you'd give me more responsibility, then I'd really, you know, I'd wake up to the... Te- Wait a minute, how are you doing with just the one? Okay. Now, um, let me introduce... This is the parable of the talents. There's a very similar yet different parable that Jesus tells in Luke's gospel. It's called the parable of the minas, not about birds. It's another uh, chunk of money. And in this parable, there's a master, and there's three servants, and to each of the servants, he gives one mina. So in the parable of the talents, we start with different amounts. In the parable of the minas, we start with the same amounts, um, telling us that they're pretty much of the same ability, right? Now, it's, it's payday or it's accountability day, the first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. So this guy started with one, and he ends up with ten. What's his reward? Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. Wow. You did well with a hundred bucks. Now you're the mayor over ten cities. Faithful in a small thing, he's given more responsibility. 
The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. Now remember, these guys started with the same amount, so they have the same abilities and the same resources. He earns five. His reward, his master answered, you take charge of five cities. Now, do you notice any difference between these two? What's the difference between the ten guy and the five guy? Well, they, they did, one, one guy gets a well done. Attaboy! The second one doesn't get the well done. And they are each given responsibility, not equivalent to their, their multiplying, but vastly more than what they had done, but ten cities versus five cities. So let's, let's look at it this way. Here's a little, little chart. Um, in the parable of the minus, they all start with one. Then there's ten, five, and then the same, the same thing with the guy with the one. He did nothing. The reward is, well done, here, take charge of ten cities. The second guy hears no well done, but here, five cities, and then the guy who did nothing, uh, he's sent to hell. In the parable of the talents, it's five, two, and one. The guy with five multiplied, doubles it, he gets ten. The guy with two, he doubles his and gets four. The guy with one, he buries his and he gets sent to hell. But five to ten, he gets a well done. Two to four, guess what? He gets a well done. Now, what can we conclude by looking at both of these parables? When it comes to the minas, they started with equivalent abilities and resources. They ended with different results, and they got different rewards. In the parable of the talents, they start with different abilities. They have different results, but they get the same rewards. At least the two guys get the same rewards. Okay. Now, um, what do we learn? Be careful about judging others. You may have more to show. Right? You may be this guy. You may be the guy who started with one, and you have five now, and you go to this guy. Ha ha, I did better than you. I did better than you, Mr. Four-Talent Guy. But God may say to you, you could have done better. I expected more out of you. Right? Compared to others, you may feel pretty good about your Christian life. But God may say, wait a minute, with all I've entrusted to you, money, personality, contacts, talents, skills, that's all you have to show for it? On the other hand, you may feel like you haven't done very well. I've only got four talents to show. This guy has five, but God's going to say to you, you did everything you could with what you were given. Well done. Quit comparing yourself with others. Just faithfully run the course that God has given to you, and don't be looking over your shoulder at the other guys. Remember when, um, after Jesus rose from the dead, 
he meets his apostles up in the Sea of Galilee, and they're out fishing. And uh, they come in, and Jesus has fixed a fish breakfast for them. Right? And then um, Jesus and Peter have a little, little talk, and Jesus forgives Peter three times. And then they're walking down the beach, talking. And John is following behind, because John always wants to be where Jesus is. And um, Jesus turns to Peter, and he says, you know what? You're going to die by crucifixion. What's Peter's response? When Peter saw him, John, walking behind, he asked, Lord, what about him? I mean, if I've got to die by crucifixion, what about John? Look how Jesus answers. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. What's it to you, bub? You quit worrying about him. You worry about the path I have laid out for you. So it gets back to the the contentment issue again. Boy, we spend a lot of time looking at other Christians, don't we? Comparing ourselves to others and feeling pretty good about ourselves and uh, putting others down or feeling pretty bad about ourselves, comparing ourselves. Just run your race. Okay? So, point two. Be faithful in the little things and quit looking over your shoulder at everybody else. Now, number three. Be productive. Okay? Be productive. Now, the last point was, don't worry about others, don't worry about numbers. Focus on being faithful. Don't focus on comparison. But, but, crying faithfulness, faithfulness, sometimes can be an excuse for lack of productivity. I'm just being faithful. You know, um, the bottom line criteria of judgment in this parable, not in every parable, not in every passage, but in this parable, the bottom line criteria for getting a well done is what? Productivity, isn't it? Productivity. Um, I listen to talk radio. There's a guy in talk radio, Dennis Miller. He used to be a comedian. Now he's a, a radio guy and. Caleb and I went and heard him live, and um, he said this. He goes, you know, if at the end of your life you look back and you can honestly say to yourself, I've changed just one person, well, you're pretty much an underachiever, aren't you? It was supposed to be funny. (laughs) If you can look back at your life and you've only changed one person, pretty much an underachiever, aren't you? What's the point of the parable? When we multiply talents, what's that really referring to? Isn't it referring to expanding the kingdom of God? And how do we do that? By bringing people into the kingdom of God. Is it possible to really be a Christian and not have expanded the kingdom of God 
by somehow influencing someone else to come into the kingdom of God? I mean, is it really possible to spend your whole life and not really expand the kingdom of God? I mean, the guy who gets sent to hell casts the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He did nothing. His lack of fruit showed his lack of faith. Are you about the business of expanding the kingdom of God? How? By influencing people into the kingdom of God. Now I know. I preached a whole sermon last week on the sovereignty of God. But God in his sovereignty not only saves people, but he not, he not only ordains the end of their salvation, he ordains the means to the end, which is you and me. Right? So um, here's what I want to do. I'm going to end with a, t- it was a top 10 list, and then it became a top 11 list of how to live a productive life. Productive meaning influencing people to come into the kingdom of, of God. Right? Top 11 lists. People say, Pastor Brian, please be practical. Give me, pr-. all right, here you go. 11 ways to not waste your life by practically influencing people to come in the kingdom. Um, and you can, you know what I want you to do? If you have these in your bulletin, I, I want you to take them home this week and check them off if you're really living this way. And if not, I want you to prayerfully um, wrestle with yourself and God, and, and, and say, I want to live this way. Okay? Please don't just throw this sermon away and throw this bulletin away and go, ah, it was a good one, or it was a bad one, whatever you think. Okay? Please evaluate your life. All right, so here we go. Number one, make the adjustment from owner to manager. What do I mean by that? Well, remember, at the beginning of the parable, It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servant and entrusted whose property? His property to them. The talents are not yours. They're his. You and I, we're just the managers. Your money, your car, your home, your personality, your influence, everything you have has been entrusted to you to manage for him. Now, you go, well, that's a small thing. No, 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 no. If you really make the adjustment from owner to manager, it will radically change how you live your life, how you spend your money, how you think. Have you made the adjustment from you being owner of your stuff to you just being his manager of his stuff. That's number one. Number two, make the kingdom adjustment. What do I mean by that? Very similar, but a little bit different. Make the adjustment from making your life goal to be to build your kingdom to be building his kingdom. Right? Again, the illustration, if... if, uh, If a business owner gave you a million dollars and he said, go expand my business. Sure, take out your own expenses, but report back. And a year later, you took the million, you built a nice home, bought some nice cars, went on some nice vacations, but did nothing with the million to advance the kingdom, you'd be fired. 
Some people say, it's mine. I'm going to use all these resources my whole life to build my kingdom. And at the end, you may, have, you may be a CEO of a very nice corporation. You may have a nice car and a nice home, and you may say, I'm successful. And he says, away from me. You used it all on yourself? You used it to build your kingdom and not my kingdom? You missed the parable. You missed the point of life. You thought you were a Christian. In fact, you used my business principles in my book of Proverbs to advance your business for your kingdom, but you didn't build my kingdom away from me. Make the adjustment. You're just the manager, and you're building his kingdom. Boy, that's... Those are mental adjustments. Those are heart adjustments. But until those are made, none of the rest will matter. These are just, the rest are just little trivial techniques. But those are the major heart adjustments. Now, number three, master your testimony. What's your testimony? It's your story of how you became a Christian. Okay? Now, those of you, some, some people are like, I want to get baptized, but I know I have to write my testimony. I don't know how to do it. Here, here's a real simple little pattern that I tell people. Before, during, after. There's your, your three-point outline. Before, during, after. B.C. What was your life like before you became a Christian? Then, how did you become a Christian? And now, what's your life? Why is your life different after you're a Christian? So it's kind of like a commercial. Uh, before I found Barbersol shaving cream, I was rough and gruff, and my wife didn't like me. Then, my good friend Steve introduced me to Barbasol with menthol. (laughs) And I shave with it now, and now my wife loves me. So, that's, uh, see, I could be in in advertising. Um, You know, before I was was a Christian, I was living for myself, and um, in fact, I don't have anything to complain about. I had a lot, but I didn't know God, and my life was empty. And then um, my good friend Steve kept hounding me to go to church, and I heard the gospel, and I was saved. And now I'm not going to kid you. I'm not going to pretend that everything is wonderful, but you know what is wonderful? I know God, and I know where I'm going, and that makes all the difference in the world. Okay. Um, now here's a little clue. Sometimes when you think of a testimony, you think of, Somebody who tells their whole life story, a 45-minute, you know. Then there were the toddler years where you're just, no. Shorten it up. Can you do it? Not in 45 minutes, but in 45 seconds. The other day I was sitting in um, Chick-fil-A because we get a 50% discount. You go, do you really like the chicken there? No, I would eat skunk meat for 50% off, right? <laughs> so I'm sitting there in uh, Chick-fil-A, and uh, there's a, a new, like, hostess girl, and she comes up and says, oh, can I get you some more Diet Coke? And I go, thank you. And she says, my pleasure, because <laughs> they're trained to say that. And, um, and then another girl came up, and I said, well, I'm Caleb's dad, um, and one thing led to another, and I said, well, I'm a pastor, and oh, how'd that happen? <laughs> Boom. 
45 second testimony right there. Can you explain your story? Now, you can also craft your story. What does that mean? Well, depending on the people you're talking to, you can emphasize certain things. Like, you know, I was raised as an altar boy and uh, very religious, but I didn't know the Lord. Sometimes when I talk to people, I, I, I want to I, I tell them my testimony from a religious perspective. But then there are other times um, my story involves this whole pursuit of magic and uh, magic tricks and underwater escapes, and I wanted to be Houdini, and that led to one day realizing life is more than applause. There's got to be more, a kind of a Solomon story where he pursued all these things and found nothing, but then I found the Lord. So, uh, you know, listen to who you're talking to and tell them your story. Don't make it up, but zero in on, on what, how your story matches up with what, what they're dealing with. All right, so that's your testimony. Then um, master the gospel. Can you explain the gospel in 45 seconds? There's a guy on the internet, there's a thing that's going around on the internet of a, of a guy who, I don't know if, he's, if this is true or not, but he says, I'm dying of cancer. I don't have long to live. And then he says, if I were to walk into your church this Sunday, would I know how to be saved? And unfortunately for so many, they, they wouldn't because the gospel is not preached. If a dying man comes up to you this week and says, I really need to know how to get to heaven, tell me how. Can you explain the gospel? And, and it all is about that word substitution. You as a sinner deserve eternal condemnation because of your rebellion against God. But he in his love became man and died on a cross in your place. And by trusting in him, by faith alone... You turn from your sin and you place your trust in Him. He forgives your sins. Can you explain that? It doesn't have to be my words, but if you don't, you're, you're wasting valuable time if you don't know the gospel and if you're not sharing the gospel with as many people as possible. All right? Master the gospel. You go, I, I, all right, I, I haven't done that. Then put it on your to-do list this week to master the gospel. Right? Make a list of relationships. Um, you go, boy, it would be really cool to be a missionary. You are a missionary. Who, who, what's your mission field? Look at this, Acts 17, 26. From one man he made every nation of men. By the way, Paul believed in, in Adam. He did not believe in evolution. If you believe in evolution, that we just evolved from slime, what are you going to do with this verse? From one man he made every nation of men. Then... They, uh, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them. You are here not by accident. It's by design. And everybody else is living today, not in the year 1427 or in the year 603, but they're alive today because God has determined all this. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. You know what that means? Nothing's an accident. You're exactly where you should be. 
Your neighbors are exactly who they should be. Your co-workers, those you can't stand and those you can stand, are exactly who they should be. And you're there for a reason. You're a missionary to the people God has arranged exactly the way he wanted them to be. Now make a list of everybody you have contact with. They're your mission field. Now, you go, well, I've already tried. Then you need a bigger list. Get out of the Christian cloister. Join the PTA. Take up a hobby. Crochet sweaters for dogs or what, you know, whatever. But, but you, you need to get out of the Christian bubble and find out the people that God has strategically placed you in the middle of. Okay? Next. Um, there's a make a list. Make it a goal not to be that guy. What guy? Well, some people go, I am not going to do personal evangelism because so many people do it so badly. And I, I, I've been with other Christians. Sometimes I think they think they need to show off with the pastor. I got this one, pastor. You know, and then the waitress comes up and they're like, repent! And they're like, oh. <laughs> Maybe a little different approach, okay? So some people go, oh, they, personal evangelism has done so badly, I don't want to be associated with that. How about this? Rather than saying it's been done badly, so I'm not going to do it, how about it's been done badly and I'm going to learn not to do it that way, I'm going to do it better. I mean, what if you applied that to driving? You know, there's a lot of bad drivers out there, therefore I don't want to be associated with them, therefore I'm never going to drive. How about you just do it better? Okay, so um, make it your goal not to be that guy. D.L. Moody, bless you. D.L. Moody, um, somebody came up to him and criticized him for the way he evangelized. And he goes, oh, wow. So how do you evangelize? And they said, well, I don't evangelize. He goes, well, I like the way I evangelize much better than the way you don't evangelize. Um, All right, so now let's get practical. Mail, actually email should be down here, but mail, Christmas newsletters. Um, Can you use snail mail? They really, now in the room, there are those of you who go, what's snail mail? There's actually this thing called the United States Post Office. And you can put things in an envelope and a stamp on it. What is it, like 50 cents now for a stamp? What is it? 49.27, I don't know. And you send things. Now, with Phyllis living with us, she got like 10 letters a day. There are, some of you actually use snail mail. How about you use it as a witnessing tool? Especially Christmas time. Do a newsletter and, you know, when you're bragging about your kids and da-da-da-da-da, just put your testimony in there, right? And then... Others of you go, boy, that's snail mail. I've never heard of that. All, all you know is the electronic world. Now, this, I know this is old MySpace, but Facebook, email, start a blog. You know what? You are connected to the world with this thing called the interweb. No, the internet. Okay? And maybe, you, maybe the world's not going to read, but, but you can influence people. With your blog, with your email, with your texting, with your Facebook, with your Pinterest, right? Um, 
You know what's trending on Pinterest? I don't even know what that means. Okay. <laughs> but how can you use electronic media? And you go, I, I don't have an a intelligent thought to say, well, the great thing about the Internet is you can go to other people's sites with really good stuff and just, bing, put a link in your email or your blog and say, hi, Brian here. This was really good. Ding, put and, and connect it to Steve's website or to Ryan's website where they are doing brilliant things and now you've influenced them with a link, right? Okay. You, you do have a website, don't you? No. Okay. Um, all right, now this one. Messages, sermons. You go, you know, I just wish, when I get out there, I can't explain it well. I wish they would come to church, but they won't. How about you bring church to them? How? Pass out messages. Okay, now this guy does this really well, Ryan. So I emailed him this week, and I said, Ryan, give me some of the messages from Valleybrook that you give out to others. And he said, well, tell me what the topic is. Because you don't, not everybody needs the same message. Some people need to be saved. Some people need to be challenged here. Some people need to be challenged there. So here's Ryan's picks. Okay, it's in, your, it's in your, your notes there. But you want a basic gospel? There's a great message. Four things that happened at the cross. Not by works. There's an old message. Five solas. Repentance. There's a couple of messages there. What to look for in a church. Um, now, listen to these before you give them out. Because <laughs> Ryan's can be rough sometimes. All right? He likes me to bring it. Bring it. And you give that to grandma. And she may be, you know, <laughs> the big one might come. So, listen to it and make sure it actually matches up. And you go, well, I don't, I, where do I get these messages? You go on that interweb. We'll have a little class on how to download a message and burn it onto a CD. Or, there's that whole link thing with linking the message in your emails. Where's Dave? Is Dave the butcher here? Dave, okay. Dave sent out uh, an email this week, and it uh, had last week's message linked on it and all of his friends and relatives who are no longer his friends um, you know click on this and you get last week's message on sovereignty and responsibility that's a way to to multiply we got our little church here but you can get the word out through electronic stuff okay then um, all right manage money well and um, are you, now, the, the passage, I think, is about more than money, but how are you doing managing your money? Now, um, I don't think Christians should give to church based on, oh, well, I like this project and that project, therefore I'll give. I, I think you should be disciplined in your giving, and there's the debate, what, how much is it a tithe? Is it should be more than a tithe. Bottom line... Have you at least considered tithing, taking 10% of everything God gives you and giving it back to him? You go, 10%? Well, yeah, 10%. Um, because, here's why. Right now, you go, 10%? The government wants 50% or more. And now the church wants 10%. But when you die and go to heaven for eternity, you're going to go, why didn't I give more? Like Schindler, at the end of Schindler's List, if I had 
sold my ring, I could have saved 12 more people. If I sold my watch, there could have been more. And you're going to say, why didn't the pastor tell me to give more to advance the kingdom? Because you know what? Spending it just on your stuff, it stays here. When you spend it on the expansion of the kingdom. Now, you, so I don't, I don't think you should give based on, well, we're doing this project or that project. But I think occasionally it's good to remind us if, if, if we give, what's that going to go to here at Valley Brook? First of all, we're behind in our budget. And I know our church is hurt. Here's how our, our giving goes. It's like, um, but we are behind right now. Okay, but let's say we weren't and let's say we were meeting our budget. We, we could do so much more. We could build a building. Oh, by the way, we have a building fund. Somebody gave us 10 acres of land. Now, cost two, three million for a building and we have a quarter of a million in our building fund. Maybe some of you have an extra million or two laying around. <laughs> right? Maybe some of you have $30 that you could give toward the building fund. But... Um, wouldn't it be great to not have to set up all the time and we could use it, I guarantee you, we'd use it seven days a week, okay? Then on top of that, planting, you know, we've had families leave Valley Brook and go off and one guy's getting trained at Master Seminary and another got trained in the DR in the real world and uh, we got people coming back going, what could we do with Valley Brook? Could you use us to plant a church or do something? Yeah, it's going to take some money though. But wouldn't it be great to expand the kingdom that way, right? And then, um, by the way, the Yorks are back, so they're no longer being supported from our mission budget. And then we're going to talk with the Matokas, who, are, who were our missionaries in China, and that may be coming to an end. So we've been looking for some new missionaries. And there's some pretty exciting stuff out there that we could give money to, okay? I, don't, I won't go into that right now, um, I guarantee you, when you give money to the church, it's going to be used to expand the kingdom. Okay? Then, last thing. Make them come in. Remember this parable about the banquet? The guy's going to have a banquet, and nobody, nobody can come. They're all too busy. Then the master told his servants, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in. Spurgeon said, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And what's my point here? Is there an urgency about you? Do, is it just, oh, hey, I got a really cool church. You ought to come sometime. Or do people see an urgency about you that what, what you want them to hear is important? And here's one last thing. Do you compel them just with your words and your invitations, or do you have a compelling joy about you? I told the girls before they came up here to sing, I said, how many of y'all know the joy of the Lord? And they raised their hands. I said, you might want to tell your faces about it. Do you know the joy of the Lord? Would anybody know? You're not going to hell anymore. Yes. 
economy stinks and Bears lost their quarterback. I mean, I can go on. We just lost our mother-in-law. She's in heaven and I'm going to heaven. There's, there's at least one reason to be joyful. And hopefully that compels people to say, what do you have that I don't have? Okay? lot to process. Please don't just throw this away. Please turn this into a, a prayer time where you go through each one and you obey whatever God is telling you. All right, worship team, come on up.